Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. And a dusty road just outside of Bakersfield. I mean, <laughs> sorry, I thought I'd bring some Tom Waits into it. You know, nothing brings up the energy like Tom Waits. Mm-hmm. Again, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I love him far better as an actor than a musician. I like Tom Waits as an idea rather than in reality. <laughs> just as a construct. Yeah, because he, he, he like, very, very... um. Odd even for me, my very favorite artist in high school was Ricky Lee Jones. From her first album all the way up, anything she put out, big, biggest crush. And I knew she dated Tom Waits. So I listened to one of his albums just because dated to Mighty Ricky. And I'm like, uh-huh, okay. But then, you know, you read about whatever he said and you see his interviews and you know it's an act, you know, but the whole shot. And I'm like, damn, that's, that's pretty interesting. So the concept of Tom Waits is cool. In reality, I can give her a fucking take it. The, the concept of Tom Waits is very appealing to me. However, the material Tom Waits is me. Yeah, okay. I mean, that's fine. I get it. It's that kind of is my relationship to like Robin Williams. Mm-hmm. Like I like the idea of him more than I actually like any of his things. Yeah. Except for death to smoochie. That movie rules. <laughs> and the funny thing is I'd been a huge rainbow fucking Randall. <laughs> the only reason I even tried to listen to Robin Williams stand up is because as a child, I was fascinated by Jonathan Winters. I wanted to be Jonathan fucking Winters. I thought he was the absolute coolest human being on the fucking planet. And uh, Robin Williams mentioned that he absolutely thought, you know, he worshipped the ground Jonathan Winters walked on. So I went to go, you know, I I started watching his stuff just through the strength of that. And it was okay. It was interesting when I saw him perform everyone else's acts. But I love the way he did it and the style he did it. He, he, I think he changed a little bit of how comedy works. So got to give him that. But the only reason I did it is because of Jonathan Winters, so. Well, hats off to you, Jonathan Winters. Mm-hmm. I honestly, I don't know who that is, James. I feel very uncultured. Well, that's all right. I'll tell you what, you'll, you'll look it up, and in your lifetime, even though you're younger than I am, you will have... It, it, it'll n- probably be one of those things yeah. that I'll see it and go, oh, I just didn't know the name to the face. Right, right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. You kids get off my lawn for cray. Yeah. And speaking of old irrelevant shit, hey everybody, welcome to Horror Vomit, where we talk about horror movies so you don't have to. Wow, the energy. It's gonna be a bitch to follow, homie. My name is Chris Faff, and I am one of your hosts. And I am James Marino. I'm the other one of your hosts. Oh boy. And num 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 num, James. Mm-mm-mm. This week. We are talking about 1959's Hound of the Baskervilles, Ooh, yeah. written by, obviously by, uh, it, this is a Sherlock Holmes, mm-hmm. so written by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, mm-hmm. screenplay by Peter Bryan, directed by Terrence Fisher, starring, oh, ready? Mm-hmm. Goddamn Christopher Lee. Christopher motherfucking Lee! As Sir Henry. Andre Morel mm-hmm. as Dr. Watson and Peter fucking Cushing. Boo motherfucking yeah. As Sherlock Holmes. Hell yeah. So uh 
How do you want to do this? Would, would you like to start us off or would you like me to? Because I, I kind of want to go first because I think my, my thing will be a little bit more compelling. Yeah. So full disclosure, James, mm-hmm. listeners, this is my first front to back experience with an actual Sherlock Holmes property. My two, or like my biggest experiences with Sherlock Holmes thus far in my life was as a child. The Great Mouse Detective was my favorite Disney film. Heard. With Vincent Price doing the voice of Rattigan. Oh, God. Oh, it's it's still a spectacular film. I watched it not too long ago. Full with the disclosure, kids. I've never seen The Great Mouse Detective. My other experience with tradition or like just. Things that are definitely Sherlock Holmes is about half of the Guy Ritchie film. Yeah. Yep. I, I didn't really care for it and I didn't really pay much attention to it. Mm-hmm. So this is my first front to back experience with anything. And you couldn't have lucked into a better fucking property for being introduced to Sherlock Holmes. James, look at me in the eyes. I'm looking you in the fucking eyes. I Fucking loved this movie. Hell yeah. I goddamn loved it. Look, nostalgia aside, and we'll get to that. This movie is fucking rock solid. It's the first colorized, it's the first colorized um, home, or not colorized, the first Sherlock Holmes anything shot in color on purpose. Because, you know, they could have had color movies way before 1959. But it was cheaper to shoot them. In fact, I was talking about it before. I watched the wrong Sherlock Holmes, Hound of the Baskervilles. I was about halfway into it. And then I stopped. I had to go and do something. And I went to look it up. I'm like, oh, we're doing a horror podcast. Had to be the Hammer one. And I went uh-huh. back. But I got this like warm feeling of nobody's up. And I'm in the living room with a giant bowl of cereal. And it was hit real hard with the Basil Rathbone. Because I ate that shit up. Because it was on every day on... Um, UHR VHF. It's been so long. But, you know, it was on every day because they were public domain, so they could run them constantly, that and the Bowery Boys. And so, to me, that's sitting in my jammies on the couch with a giant bowl of cereal and all the milk in the fridge and just... (laughs) Maybe sneak a Dr. Pepper. God damn it. Every single aspect of this movie, I almost immediately fell in love with. Mm -hmm. There is nothing about it. The story. The story is great. I mean, that's been well established since, what, 1909 when it was published, whenever it was published. It's been known as a good story. But I had never heard it before, so it had me absolutely on the edge of my seat. The performances. Just the cast, not only the casting, but the cast performances are perfect. Well, I want to mention something that, because this is your first Sherlock Holmes experience, um, this movie and this story in general are very different from many Sherlock Holmes things. Traditionally throughout the movie, you're, you know how at the end we're doing all the deductions and whatnot. Did a little at the beginning, a little in the middle, and the big expo at the end. Traditionally, it's peppered all the way through and this and that and the witty wordplay. Notice that you see Holmes for the first eight to ten minutes when they're getting the story rolling, right? Yep. Then sends Watson off for a good half of the movie time. A good 30 minutes of this movie's running time. There's no Sherlock Holmes. 
that is one thing that I starkly noticed, and it's a weird thing that this movie kept doing to me, is as soon as I noticed that, he was back. Right. Or as soon as I would think, well, that doesn't make sense. Oh, the movie just explained it as I was thinking. This makes me wish. I I wish I could have seen this movie through your eyes, because I've seen this movie before, but I am a giant, you know, as a childhood you know, I have hyperlexia as a child, and I would read everything and anything, and the Holmes ones were the easiest to reread. And I love them, because I love the way that, you know, because I'm not, I, I, I jump, you know, I jump from point to point. I don't have, I, there's no logical whatever. So Holmes always fascinated me. So to see, uh, at this, actually, the point I was trying to make originally was that um, the reason you don't see him for half of the movie is that when Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was writing, he was sick to fucking death. A Sherlock Holmes. He wanted to write about paranormal stuff. He wanted to write about, you know, his other passions. But that was paying the bills, but he was fucking pissed. So he, per- on purpose, didn't have Holmes for half the book. Because he was pissed at the character. <laughs> Tried to kill him off at Ruckenbeck <laughs> Falls and had to bring him back because everybody was fucking pissed and he wasn't making money writing anything else. That rules. <laughs> so that's that little bit of, little bit of extra trivia. So I'm sorry if I dropped the other point, but I had to make that one. Yeah, and that's what I found so interesting about this is it's, as far as I know, the only Sherlock Holmes that is considered horror. Um, There are other stories with elements, but it is the only, as far as, again, as far as I know, the only Sherlock Holmes that's pretty much a straight up horror story there's there's another one but i might be conflating it with another story i it's even though i had a giant much like many of my passions in life it had its period and i haven't except that oh there's a new like sherlock holmes i'll check it out see if they honored the thought of the character because to me it's like holmes is a certain way in the books and you can depict that in a thousand different ways that are interesting without having to be slavishly to the book. And I love those things, and my eyes always open to those things. But, man, I really wish I could have seen it for the first time through your eyes, man, because... Because, okay, yeah. I, I don't really want to go for this through the story beat for beat, obviously. As but, if you... A, but, a 150-year-old story? But I want to just paint a picture as to how this film opens, because it's credits over a, just a painting of a spooky-ass castle, a uh, voiceover talking about Sir Hu- Hugo Baskerville and mm-hmm. what a bastard he is, and you see a man immediately fly out a window into a moat. Mm-hmm. The first lines from, from a character on screen is Hugo Baskerville's just verbose, mm-hmm. verbose, well, he's learned to fly like a wild fowl. Now he learns to swim like a waterfowl. And immediately, the costumes, the set, the delivery, the lines, everything. And now he will cook like a guinea fowl. Yes. And no beast or bird or beast will make him sing like a nightingale. Like, yeah. just immediately. It's like putting a blanket over me in just warm chicken soup. And like we were talking about... It immediately feels like laying on the couch on a Saturday afternoon, watching what whatever came on the TV. Mm-hmm. It's so... It gets right in my soul immediately. Well, again, I'm going from the last time I read Sherlock Holmes on purpose with a passion to read it. It had to be about 35 years ago, so my memory's a little, little hazy. 
But I know um, the way Hammer depicted how he was a bastard. They never, you know, like in movies, we expect to see graphic whatever. But the way they depicted how much of a bastard, he's cooking the father whose daughter is locked in a room upstairs. Because he abducted her for, <laughs> yeah. for nefarious reasons. So anyway, he made a wager. He lost the wager, so he's going to let everybody go up and take a turn with old girl. It's all implied. It's all, you know, it's all, you know, kind of shown, not told. And I've read the story. They changed it a little bit, but it was still that amount of bastardry. But the way they depicted it made it so abjectly horrible. I mean, they made it with the music, the mood, the lighting, everything. And the way they depicted it, the helplessness and everything, it really knocked you out of the park. And think about this. This is 1950 fucking nine. Our palettes are so sophisticated with how far cinematography and everything has come that we forget that the nuts and bolts of what they did is so beautiful in and of itself. And Hammer is known, even even though they reused sets and they did everything, the quality of the actors, the quality of the directors that came through there, the quality of what, you know, the... the um, the way they pushed at all times, Hammer always pushed as far as they could push with the sensors, with everybody. Because it looks tame, but the amount of blood that we saw near the end of the movie on the body that was torn by the dogs, mm-hmm. as laughable as those effects may have been, the amount of blood on screen that you saw in 1959 was unfucking heard of. You know, the most you'd see is a, a little dribble come down or you know, the hint of blood on a... no. This motherfucker was covered. Uh-huh. And, and again, they, they push, push the envelope. And uh, due to th- this and you know, the Hammer, Christopher Lee, Dracula films, I'm becoming a real Peter Cushing fan. Mm-hmm. Because it's going to be really hard for me to go forward and watch any other uh, Sherlock Holmes properties. And there's a reason, because when I think of Sherlock Holmes, I do think of kind of like an obsessively weird guy. Mm-hmm. And just the way Peter Cushing looks, mm-hmm. he, I, 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 to say it eloquently, he looks sort of emaciated, mm-hmm. but not like a guy who's starving or necessarily like addicted to drugs. He looks he like seems a like a fucking weirdo who sat in his weird chamber looking at these cases, chain-smoking, and forgot to eat. Here's what I will tell you. Um, I know little of Peter Cushing's background because he didn't even get on my radar until the 80s when he, you know, or the 70s and 80s when he was in Star Wars. I saw it like everybody else. And then he was in, like, you know, a top secret, and he would, you know, continue to get roles because, well, now he's making money. But prior to that, I, I know I had seen him, and it didn't clock because I was a kid when I saw him. Um, but I do know that he it was a Sherlock Holmes fanatic and that this was a choice role for him. And that um, one of the things you'll notice in this movie is there's, uh, they call it in, in theater, they call it business. There's a lot of prop handling. There's a lot of movement. There's a lot of tamping it down. He made an unusual choice. You won't see because dialogue is important in movies. He clearly and eloquently spoke through a pipe clenched in his teeth. Yeah. That was a choice. He probably had to fight for that. He knew 
that Sherlock Holmes was a morphine addict. He knew personally through because he read the books. He could he would correct people on the set. He, he you know he gave feedback like a motherfucker. Yeah, that was one of the things that I read about Peter Cushing is that uh, even like costumers mm-hmm. on set would get not mad, but mildly annoyed because he always wanted input on his costumes. And I don't think it would be this way. So they called him very fussy, mm-hmm. never ungentlemanly, just fussy. And he fought to keep the deer stalker because the director did not want that. Didn't you, you were making fun of the cap. Remember it, he fought to have that in the movie and he got it. He's like, Mm-mm, he has to have it. It's Sherlock motherfucking Holmes. Yeah. I, I reject Sherlock Holmes without the deer soccer cap. Absolutely. <laughs> so well, it's been done though. Cause I will tell you the, the, out of all the modern adapta- adaptations, the BBC did one with um, Benedict Cumberbatch and um, God, what's his name? I forgot the guy. He was, um, never mind. It doesn't matter, but um, it was amazing. I loved everything because they honored it and they updated it enough, added cell phones and whatever. And they changed the story enough that you knew the, you know, you knew how it was going to do, and they honored the endings, but they changed it up so much that you were like, you loved every little bit and piece that they put in place. So they changed it, updated, it, and kept the honor of the original. And that's what, again, just the visual of Peter Cushing adds so much to it. Just little things like mm-hmm. the when Holmes finally comes back, mm-hmm. I believe that he's that fucking weirdo who's like. Holmes, when did you get here? Like, exactly four hours and 59 minutes after you did. I've just been hanging out in these woods. By the way, I know this convict that's running around. I talked to him a whole bunch. And it's like, yeah, you're a weird fucking guy. And uh, I know for, from what I do remember of the older Cushing thing, it's like he wasn't that, you know how he's kind of almost fidgety, but not. He was stayed, but he was the way he was moving was just a little bit more yes. than needed. Um that's not usual for him. He really embodied Sherlock Holmes, and I think he eventually did it on BBC for a, a series or two. But he loved it that much. And, and, and you remember we were talking about the addiction, how it wasn't shown, but it was kind of shown. Look at his eyes. Yeah, the, his very sunken in cheekbones. Yeah. Well, well, that's how Cushing looks. No, no but, exactly. But Cushing knew that, and he embodied that as much as he could through his role. And he moved like an addict, especially when he was not having a pipe. He's like, fuck, give me some more nicotine. <laughs> and he, he did all of that in that real weird, staid British manner. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I love that film for it. And I'm going to tell you what, young Christopher Lee and young Peter Cushing could get it. Oh, man. And uh, yeah, Christopher Lee in this film, fan-fucking-tastic. He was kind of nebbishy. The first time he's on screen, he's because he's supposed to be playing a member of royalty, effectively, just immediately, immediately bitching out Holmes and Watson because he thinks it's the boot bo- or the uh, uh, attendant who lost his boots. And But think about this, and this is a really interesting point that I thought of earlier, but I'm glad you brought it back up. He was going to reel into the help, right? But later in home, later in the film, remember when Holmes was talking? Oh, what? Oh, you're gonna go out and hang out with the peasants now, motherfucker? Yeah, enjoy gonna... their rabbit pie, right? And he got all pissed at him, like motherfucker. These are my people, and I'm like, no, you were just as much of a dick at the very beginning of the movie. Did you remember? Mm-hmm. And he was just like, uh, is in it, okay? As much of a presence as that man is, he he came out almost timid, like well, he came out yelling, but he was kind of befuddled, like. My shoe is missing. This is very strange to me. 
Porter, where is my shoe? But he, he did, it was almost ineffectual, which is odd because you'd think that much of a presence couldn't project in that kind of like indecision and I, I guess I'm supposed to be here. Uh, ooh, look at that girl over there, you know? Yeah. And well, I hope she likes it. You're the lord of the fucking manor. You're a goddamn rock star in the moors, okay, homie? I, I'm pretty sure you could get it. But he's like, oh, I wonder if she likes me, you know? Yeah. And, and to see him do that is amazing because it's so unlike every other role that I remember him from. Yeah, because he's usually a very dominant force. Mm-hmm. And like you said, he's not necessarily passive. Right. But he's not the in-your-face Christopher Lee that he usually is. Right, because take a look at um, the difference in stature and presence between even a nebishy um, Christopher Lee and a very excited, ready-to-roll um, Peter Cushing, and to see him, like, Holmes doing more than Cushing, and you're believing it, knowing, looking at these two guys, knowing in the back of your head, this motherfucker was <laughs> and yeah. the SAS, all right? Uh-huh. I don't know. For all I know, Cushing could have been, too. I don't know. But I do know that guy, and I'm like, mother... What? And I, I believed every second of it, which speaks to the acting. Knowing what you know about them as human beings and other roles, to see this was absolutely amazing. And with the, uh, we'll get into everybody else too, but with the addition of Andre Morel, oh my God, as Watson, I know nothing about, like I said, nothing about the entirety of Sherlock Holmes, but that is the character that I know Watson as. Well, Just and, through cultural osmosis, right. that he's not a bumbling fool. Right. He's not just the sidekick. He is, Holmes is almost equal, yeah. and they make up for the parts that the other lacks. Right, because, and, and, and this is why I, you got a gift. Because my first watch in, Watson was the one with either Nigel Bruce, I think. Played him as, oh, oh, well, I don't know, Holmes. Why don't you explain it to me? I'm just a dumb person. And the occasionally he would whack somebody with a cane. But in my mind, you know, when I was reading, when I was reading it as a kid, you know, and I was also reading the Zane Grays and all that fucking cowboy shit, right? I'm reading this and I'm, fucking Watson is like a war veteran. He's like an Afghan. He was, he fought in the original Afghan wars. You know, he's a, he's fighting fucking in the desert. This uh-huh. guy's tough and he's smart smart and tough which is a rare combination in anything and when i say smart i'm not talking about just he was a doctor which you have to you know study for but he was intuitive also and he could make up for like when holmes absolutely had no business talking to anybody outside of his apartment ever for any fucking reason (laughs) so watson what that was his job he's like okay i'll take care of that for you why because well a you're my buddy yeah, it, and there I'm, was I'm the communicator yeah. here but there there was an actual relationship there so you had a gift to see you know Watson portrayed as I think even I think of him and just randomly like if I had to picture now Watson it's that motherfucker mm-hmm. you know he, he has pushed out every other Watson in my mind because he was so good at that role and their on-screen chemistry as people have been working together was absolutely apparent on screen and I love all the side characters too. Uh, Dr. Mortimer. Oh God. What a fantastic actor. Right. And Again, he, he has almost the same qualities as Andre Morel, where he's able to be 
sort of a firm British gentleman who who does get upset, but he's also very smart, but very gentlemanly. And you know, of course, I'm his doctor, but why should I hang about when the p- person that I'm supposed to protect is insulting me? I, I didn't invent the you know that guy term, but um, it's like every, every British that guy or that gal is in that film. And I love the character actors. I love them. I would I just, when I'm watching even a big tentpole, you know, I'm paying attention to as much as I can to the main screen, but I'm watching every one of the, like the extras or the little actors or the character actors that come in and just fucking own it. And they're on the screen for 30 seconds because they're sidekick number two, but they fucking got it. See, my absolute favorite besides our three main leads the bishop mm. i love that man to my core when he fucking breaks the window and shit with the telescope it's the best and then holmes fixes it and then he's talking to holmes oh look what's happening down there blah blah blah, blah. small sherry please ah. and holmes has been gone for like five minutes he's reaching back for him i'm like the commitment it took for that it's the commitment it took, the timing. I mean, it's the only obvious comedic part in here, and that guy fucking nailed owns. it. He owns the screen. He, mm. When he and Christopher Lee are on screen, he he owns that scene. Do you know when how he hard? he and Cushing are on screen together, and again, I, I cannot express my amount of adoration for Peter Cushing as Sherlock Holmes, but that bishop absolutely steals that scene where he visits him. Well, think about this. We, I've talked a million times about Christopher Lee's presence. And even when he pulls it back to promote a different and 100% believable, he's still that fucking presence. I don't know how this motherfucker, this bishop character, pulled focus not only from Peter Cushing and that magnificent fucking profile... And the business and the fidgets and the whatnot, which will usually, and even lesser hands, you're watching the fidget. You're watching the business. Uh-uh. No. That Eyes are on the bishop. It. And Christopher Lee was talking and doing his thing. I'm Christopher Lee, which I said we could watch him do the phone book, right? Yeah. I didn't even know he was in a fucking scene because the bishop was there. Like, mmm. Oh, and of course you'll have something for a, a yearly auction for the poor. Of course you'll, you'll have something laying around an old suit or something. I, I believe I will have another sherry. Absolutely. Would you and be that, so kind as to <laughs> send it to this address? <laughs> you wouldn't mind if I gave you the address, would you? By the way, there'll be lots of... <laughs> he does not stop talking and he is perfect. He, he pulled focus from an entire room full of other amazing character actors. I, honestly, James, there must be one or two cuts in the scene with he and Cushing, where Cushing visits him about the lost spider. There must have been a few cuts, but the length of those scenes and to keep that character going mm-hmm. in his dialogue constantly. Would you mind help? As soon as Holmes walks in, not... Hello, how are you? What did you need to speak with me about? Could you come here and look at this telescope? I believe there's something wrong with the the hitch. And the, oh, perhaps it's this, or perhaps it's the lens, or perhaps it's the shim. And I have no idea what it could possibly be, but if you would take a look. But besides the magnificent performance, think about this. We got to watch an entire progression of a character because he starts out just a kind of a nebbishy dude coming out of a 
coming out of the bushes, right? And he's walking, and then you see him stop. And I'm like, the fuck's he looking at? And he throws something over a bug. <laughs> and this is how we learn he's an entomologist, which is a great show not tell. And I've got this bug, and oh, it's blissus, narphysis, you know, whatever. But then he starts getting more chatty, and then he gets in, and then more, and then more, and then you see his character develop from this, because he has to be an expert. So they, they show that to him. He's a flighty expert. He's also a heavy drinker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's a heavy heavy drinker but and i love when he passes judgment about oh thursday morning oh, i stopped by and had a sherry with mrs Soa. oh she's a drinker mm-hmm. <laughs> well he's hammered, hammered. <laughs> but they, it's a progression because he goes from expert in our minds because he's talking very deeply about entomology right or not entomology whatever it is with fucking bugs yeah i think entomology is with words i'm great yeah but <laughs> he's got to be this famous bug guy right so they, they actually establish that. And they also establish that he's a drunk and he talks. And, you know, then we can write him off. Although he is still important to the story, we've written him off. Because of the way that guy portrayed him. It was amazing. And just one of the things, and I don't know if this is true of the story. Because I, I love this movie so much, I started listening to the audio book at work. And I, I'm getting kind of lost because I'm also doing other things. So I don't know if this is true of the story. But as soon as Holmes comes back, one of the most interesting things that this film does, for me anyway, is in every interaction with somebody, it both alleviates them of any wrongdoing, but also deepens your suspicions of them. Somehow, I don't know how it does it, but every time he goes to visit, like Mortimer, Mm there will be some weirdly damning piece of evidence, but then they're kind of off the hook. But then mm-hmm. they say something sinister toward the end of the scene. Mm-hmm. And it's brilliant in almost every interaction with Holmes from an outside character that he suspects, you mm-hmm. know, or, you know, a possible suspect in the film. There's something that assuages you of your yeah. belief that they may be guilty of anything, but also reintroduces another piece of evidence that points toward their possible guilt. It's fucking brilliant in that way. Actually, um, it was portrayed beautifully because that's where they stuck to the uh, novels. They stuck very much because that is Holmes' M.O. He comes in, he notices a few things, asks a few questions pointedly. Uh, Okay, well, he's now he moved another piece that we don't know. It's going to come into play sometimes. Sometimes they don't. And this is where, you know, red herrings come from. We we think something's obvious that Holmes maybe kind of glossed over and it comes back and it, it wasn't important, but we think it is. We think we know the end. And they did all of that beautifully because usually it's peppered throughout. But in this one, again, it's very different. No Holmes for 30 minutes of the movie. So it's even more pointed because you're, if you'd watched a regular one, you'd see him do it from the beginning. I noticed as you walked in the door, you had... Uh, tobacco stains on their fingers. That means that you're from the tobacco fields of Virginia, but a very specific part of Virginia. Black, 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 to prove that he knows what he did. They did it quickly. They, and, and again, I'm sure Doyle was tired as fuck. Okay, we did it. We did the thing. Now let's go fuck around on the countryside. Let's establish different characters. Let's, let's make Watson do more than just be hanging out with Holmes, you know? And you are so lucky that this is your intro to Holmes. Now, there's a lot of wonderful ones. There's a lot of ones that are meh. And they're old as fuck. But now you have a better idea if you want to check out a Holmes thing. You can now have a, 
an opinion, this is a great benchmark. You can say if, if it, it's not up to and touching this one, don't bother because <laughs> you'll waste your time unless you really know that story and just want to see what they did with it. Right. So. And it's one of the things that I, I really appreciate about because from what I read, they did take some liberties with the story. They changed a few things. But I think that's really smart, too, to not just follow the story verbatim because in that time, I'm sure audiences at the time had read the story more than they would have now looking at it through a lens of 2024. Mm-hmm. So if you change it, it still keeps the audience engaged enough to go, oh, well, how much of this did they change? And it makes the story almost fresh. And that's such a good idea. And as I'm, when I say I'm a fanboy, I'm not obsessive. You know, there was just a period of my life where Holmes was it for a while, you know, and I got real into it. And when I get a micro focus or hyper focus, it's, it's nice, but you know, people get way, way, way into it. But in that vein, when I'm seeing handling of a property that I love and it's dear to my heart, you can go two ways. I don't want a slavish recreation because you're not going to touch what's in my fucking head. Okay. Cause my, my canon is the canon. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's built by whatever I've, you know, pulled into Sherlock over the years, but you have to change it enough to, I know the story. I know how it's going to end. If you tinker with it, honor the idea of Holmes. Don't tinker with it and make Holmes a, a stoop nagel. You know, don't, don't make, don't wuss out Watson on me, you know, don't do those things. But in order to keep my interest as a Holmes fan, you have to change certain things. And the way they changed the relationship and the way they made it a bastard son and, and instead of, cause if I'm, <coughs> pardon me, if I remember correctly in the original, um, the girl didn't die in the Moors and the father wasn't completely killed. They left him to die. And somehow she went up, and that was the bastard son, or the bastards that came back, the family. But they they changed it up. It was another family. It was the Petersons or whatever they were. Yeah, they changed it up a little bit, but and the the relationship between it was fa- it was husband and wife rather than father and daughter in the book. Yes, but that was enough of a change to make it interesting to me. It deepened how much of a cad the original was. You know what I mean by actually having her die in the moors. Yeah. And having another progeny that he'd done that to somebody else is the inference. Right. And that's probably not the only ones he's got. He's been doing this for however long. So they deepened how much of a shit Baskerville was. And to me as a fan that made it that much better. And James. Yeah. I cannot express to you just because of how this story went, how into it I was, I cannot express to you how shocked I was at the end when it was an actual hound that was just ripping dudes' throats out. <laughs> yep. Because the whole time they're talking about, you know, this being a supernatural hellhound. Yeah. This gargantuan beast that is, you know, unbelievable. So just knowing a little bit about, you know, how stories work, generally speaking, that would have been you know, a fairy tale or a construct that people had made up for, you know, just a sinister killer. Mm-hmm. But if you think about how big um, some of the dogs they breed out there, the Mastiffs, the Irish Wolfhounds, the Alsatians, 
I, I don't remember the breed of dog. I want to say it was a, a giant mastiff, which if you put a, a fucking mask on a giant mastiff and it was dark out and you heard the howls, I know I got coyotes out by my house. If I saw that motherfucker break through the cheek with a mask on and a, the big mastiff, you know, the yeah. chest, I'd have shit my pants. I'd have died right there. The, dog, the thing when I got to me and I would have sworn it was a hellhound. And I think that's how it was intimated. But unfortunately, due to <laughs> budget restraints or, you know, uh, safety of the people there, they yeah. had to get a friendly dog because they didn't want the uh, actors it, to get it. It was a Marmaduke. Yep. So that kind of maybe lessened it. But had you read the novel, they tell you that, you know, it, yes, if, even if you put a mask on it, you just, even if without a mask, you, you'd have fucking died. And one of the things that I love the most, too, is because, again, I was shocked that it was an actual hound. Mm-hmm. And then Watson even said it. He's like, oh, it, it in fact was a dog. I thought perhaps it was just a supernatural you know, being that they had made up. I was like, and that was the final thing where every single time that I had like a question about like, well, that doesn't make any... Oh, the movie just explained it while I was thinking the question in my head. And that's why this movie was a gift to you. Because I got that when I read Holmes for the first time. <gasps> Fuck. Well, he... D- oh! And you got that in movie form. And, it, and you got it the right way. Because you could have watched a million. There's a million adaptations of Sherlock Holmes. You could have watched any one of the lessers. And right now, this is on the top of my Mount Rushmore. That and a 7% solution. That's just me. And it's also a difficult, difficult thing to do. Mm-hmm. To raise a question and then answer it immediately. Usually that is a huge Mm no-no in a movie. Because that means you didn't let it breathe. But in this case, it works. Because once they answer that, it opens up three more questions. Uh That you're thinking about, you're thinking too hard about them to go. Because I only saw the obvious question. Right. And there's inferences, and it left something out that comes back that you know because the knife was in the bottom drawer. It's not in. Why isn't it locked? I locked it. Oh, it was well, go get out the top right drawer. It's not in there. I put it in there. Nah, well, no, you can't argue with Holmes. We fucking put it in there. Yeah. Check the bottom. Is it locked? No. Mm. <laughs> there's fuckery afoot. Yeah, and especially even just the like. Oh man, don't go in that mine shaft. Don't go in that mine. Like, Watson, do you think I would have gone in had I not known 10 different escape routes in which to get out of here? And just like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> but in my head, I know he was going to get out. You didn't. Oh, I, I mean, it's a Sherlock Holmes. I knew they weren't going to kill him. Right, but you didn't get that feeling of... I was not expecting him to be just sitting in the carriage. Right, because, again, you didn't have that preconceived I knew, but you didn't. You got the joy of having that discovery, dude. Oh, man, I'm so glad that you got to discover Sherlock Holmes through this fucking movie. And it's one of those things, and we talk about it all the time. If you were to spend any amount of time, like, on your phone during this movie, it Mm -hmm. would probably be boring and stupid, and you would probably dismiss it immediately. I probably would if I were doing any of that. Active viewing is so rewarding, especially in this case when, you know, a film from 1959 Mm -hmm. can absolutely captivate me to where do you know what i did the mm-hmm. other night i usually if i'm laying in bed you know i'll have you know chain smoke while i watch movies much yeah. like the fade to black gentleman yeah i didn't even smoke a cigarette while watching this movie holy fuck i sat captivated 
just mind racing the entire time trying to figure it out because again every single scene is assuaging your suspect you know yeah beliefs that oh it could be this guy oh no it couldn't because oh this is why well that was oh, like me shutting the fuck up for borgman it was yeah the oh shit why was there a weird candle lit in this room that nobody ever fucking uses oh oh it was because her brother was the oh mm. in the barrymores the barrymores are great yeah james oh love my god them. yes <laughs> The, the okay, we we talked. The about, Barrymores are the uh, uh, caretakers yes, of the, the estate, and they, um, they've been with the Baskervilles for generations. And this is why I love. Now we we've seen modern takes of the reaction phase, but um, you know, I even growing up, I loved any kind of very reactive face, like Norman Fell, the timing and just the face just turns at just exact right time. Um, the the reaction faces on the, everything they did they were just always acting but never so obvious that they they're pulling focus but if you focus on them their their reaction faces are brilliant they're, they're just mildly perturbed cuz just you somebody comes and talks and he just looks like he smelled shit yes <laughs> uh. or you can tell when he's like oh he's vaguely scared but and his eyes just widen just the tiniest bit, but you're fucking buying it. He's, he's about ready to shit his pants right now. Uh-huh. And all he did was open his eyes a little bit. And yeah, like, act mildly surprised. Mm-hmm. And when, when finally, and I love this about, um, what Cushing did was really, really show the directness of Holmes. Because usually Holmes is depicted as a little bit of snobby. At no point... Did he, Holmes seem snobby? He's just, okay, you may or may not understand what I'm saying, but I'm going to tell you anyway because I'm fucking really into this and you're going to be really into this after I'm done fucking talking to you as opposed to I know more than you. And obviously you should have known that in Carthage, the chrysanthemums, chrysanthemums only bloom in June. This is August and this is a chrysanthemum. You know, it didn't come across as haughty. It just come across as, no. And every question he asked was direct to the point without any weight either pro or con. Well, you do know that this and that and the other thing and the blah. And he really gave the essence of Holmes down to the pipe, down to everything. I mean... And I love just almost immediately when he uh, makes the deduction about the newspaper. Like, well, you know, in my line of work, you need to know these newspapers and I know that this one is only published on this day, blah, blah, blah. And, oh, m- remarkable. There's nothing remarkable about using your eyes. Yeah. <laughs> And and using general knowledge. Yeah. But the way he presented it is never as haughty, just as a man driven Matter by... Matter-of-factly. But he's driven by passion, and he only knows, you know, plus or minus, zero or one. And he really portrayed it and gave it humanity because people forget to humanize homes. I'm going to push back on the zero or one because sometimes it's a two-pipe problem. Well, fair enough. <laughs> But uh, he, but he's also he also shows that he is a man of creature comforts because you made the best comment about any of it. Anybody's mildly perturbed. Oh my God! In this film, anytime anybody is even mildly distressed, they are immediately handed liquor. 
<laughs> right in the beginning, after they get the spider off of Christopher Lee, quickly, pull him a brandy! And he grabs it like a child with two hands grabbing a sippy cup. And he's got like five gallons of brandy in it. It's beautiful. And we, when they, uh, after they find the candle mm-hmm. in the strange room and the light outside in the moors and they're running after the convict and we find out the uh henry baskerville has the heart condition immediately watson just pulls out a flask is like here drink this Mm -hmm. that's beautiful because actually i don't know if you grew up you're younger than i am but i grew up on reruns of like bewitched and adam's family all the stuff from like the mid to late 60s up to about 71 even just before brady bunch and everybody's got a cocktail and a cigarette. Everybody. Watch Laughing. Just if you get a chance, everybody's got a martini glass and three cigarettes. And at no time do they ever not drinking. So anytime, even on a sitcom when I was a kid, somebody's mildly inconvenienced here. <laughs> Have this and maybe a quaalude. <laughs> Except for never is Sherlock Holmes drinking. Right. Because he's already fucking morphined up. And it's portrayed very subtly. But very obviously, if you know what junkies look like. Yep. (laughs) You know what I mean? Because either he was on some shit or he was that good. But he really, he was that much into homes that I believe that even if he didn't have addiction problems whatsoever, he would have studied it to portray it properly because he wanted to honor homes. And, And that's why, again, you've been given the biggest fucking gift. I'm jealous of shit. Can I talk about one of my favorite parts of this movie Hmm. before we go? Yes. And it's something that we've talked about with older movies like this, too. Mm-hmm. I, I do love modern movies. You know that. Oh. I know that. We, again, last week we talked about Borgman. Very modern. Very realistic. Mm-hmm. At no point do I believe that this is a realistic film. No. The sets are too grandiose. And I love it. What? The sets, the costumes, even the performances mm-hmm. are so not realistic right that it it crosses that threshold for me into just this is perfect entertainment it is this is what this is supposed to be Mm -hmm. again i'm not i love the realism of a lot of films but watching these is like even like white zombie even right the complete unrealisticness of it but through the theatricality and what what i think you're seeing and the themes of the movies that you're speaking of is that they're very theatrical. They're very cinematic. They're very artificial in its own way, but it honors its own artificiality by staying true to the world that it sets. So these are the sets in this world and these are how people act in this world. Now we're going to tell you a story in this world Mm -hmm. and we're going to pull you into it. Yes, it's artificial, but you're going to forget that in about 30 seconds because the story is going to pull you in and the acting is going to enchant you. And the lighting, you're, you're going to notice it and then you're never going to notice it again, but it's going to work. Even knowing, having seen, because this is where the cuts came from. This is where the lighting came from. This is where the shit we like came from. Even knowing that, we get so entranced into the art of this movie that we forget that we know that. Exactly. We clock it for two seconds. Oh, that's the green light behind the door, and there's the smoke. And then we cl- we might see it five times in the movie, but we don't notice it again because it's pulled so into it. Exactly. And just knowing, like you said, the theatricality of it, mm-hmm. it 
it just, mm, like I said, it reminds me of just laying on a fucking shitty floral pattern couch with an afghan and a shitty kind of lumpy uncomfortable couch pillow and a standing ashtray because i'm old yep and just staring at a movie and going "Mm, yeah it's nice outside i ain't going out there Mm. i'm gonna watch this nope james again i cannot express how much i love this movie and it it, not so much that, you know, like, it's going to crack the top ten, because it's not that kind of movie. No. But it is just such a joy to well, take in films like this. How much Hammer background do you have? How many? Not much. Okay, because this is a great, this is a great way, this is like, this is like Hammer Light. Now, I don't know if this director did much more with Hammer, but I do know that everybody you saw there, you're going to see again. Different roles, different things. Um, you know, I've seen Cushing as both Dracula and Helsing, Van Helsing, you know, all this shit. So you are, this is a great way to see it because this is before it even got more edge pushing. You know what I mean? Because as Hammer progressed as a studio, the way they kept up is by shocking, you know, making the video nasties and stuff, but still honoring the acting, still honoring the story, still but taking as far as they could in as far many directions as possible. So you got the birth of that. You got, you got new homes. Now you got hammered open up. It's like, you know, when you discover a new band that already has 10 albums. Yeah. Fucking that's the best feeling in the world. You got that twice. You got homes and you got hammer. I say, because my experience with hammer is literally just the Christopher Lee Dracula films. As far as I know, there may have been a few other strays that I've seen here and there, Mm. but those were my, you know, touchstone for Hammer films. And now that I've seen this, it just grows my appreciation for what they did. Well, I got on such a nostalgia kick because of this. I found where I can watch The Abominable Dr. Fives with Vincent Price. Hell yeah. And I remember when I was a kid, um, Channel 7 used to have the afternoon movies. And, you know, I was latchkey, so I'd get home. And between 3 and 5, nobody was home, so I'd watch whatever was there. And they would run that at least, you know, two, three or four times a year. And I'd watch it every goddamn time. And it is disturbing if you really think about the whole movie and just really pay attention to what's going on. And if it was portrayed even even as sconce realistically, it would be the most horrifying thing you ever watched. But because it was Vincent Price and because of the way they did the sets and it was the 70s or, you know... And they filmed it on in Burbank on the same sets as Batman, you know. Uh huh. That it was watchable, but it. Now that I think about it, like I want to rewatch it and think about the actual implications of everything done and how it would look modern, and it's gonna be horrifying again. So I again I I don't think we need to do the. Uh... So would you recommend? Absolutely, fucking watch. Fucking it. definitely watch the Hound of the Baskervilles. Because I will say that. At the beginning of this pod, or the, me starting on this podcast, I always complained. You know, I always said I hated horror. I hated this and that. I said I should have. I should have said I hated modern horror because I was a horror movie kid. Didn't know it. I didn't know it till now. But I used to be able to get the movies. You know, horror of Hollywood and that kind of stuff because they were still putting out like reprints of the ones from the '60s, and I would live on it. And I would just pictures of Dracula and Frankenstein and the. Uh, Aurora ones um, were re-released, so you get the... My cousins had the Creature of the Black Lagoon glow-in-the-dark shit. Fucking... I love that aesthetic. That's why um, 
I could watch the original, you know, the older Rob Zombie movies before they started getting real shitty. Because, of, well, because of the aesthetic. He honored the aesthetic that I appreciated from watching horror movies and reading all Fangoria's as a kid. Because they would still talk about how, you know, the Tad Browning freaks was still talked about regularly, got real in-depth before the internet. Right. So I was a horror movie kid, but I wasn't a modern horror kid because I couldn't make the jump. So yeah, just shit like this, just mm. Mm. And if you like any of the aesthetic, the aesthetic, goth aesthetic, any of that, that's where this shit came from. This is exactly where everything that we think is modern and, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh-uh. This is where it came from. Hammer is the fucking aesthetic. Ah, absolutely perfect. And uh, we were talking about this before. I, I, since I'm growing such a uh, deep appreciation for Peter Cushing, mm-hmm. and he has done horror films that was kind of what he made a living on for quite a while the the thing is he's an amazing actor and and that's what i've read about him is that regardless of what it was horror film when people would scoff at him for doing horror films he brought it every single time knew his parts front to back total professional and even when he was doing like top secret val kilmer and it was one of those you know airplane parody style movies even in in he was not well but he fucking committed, which made it funny because it was a stupid sight gag. He was Sherlock Holmes, and he's known to have been Sherlock Holmes from this movie, from doing it in BBC. And he had, it was a lame sight gag, right? But he's walking around, and you're, he was owning his speaking part, right? And as soon as he took the um, magnifying glass away from his eye, it was still a giant eye. It was stupid, but... Because it was Peter fucking Cushing, he owned it, he committed, and he made that bit work. Nobody else could have made that bit work. It would have just been a stupid throwaway gag. But because it was Peter fucking Cushing, and he committed to it, even in his ill health, and even to, okay, you're going to pay me to do this stupid sight gag. Well, I will make it fucking work for you. You fucking owe me. Yep. <laughs> you know? So, yeah, I, I think we should do a little block of Peter Cushing. Just oh, because. fuck hells, yeah. Just because we make the rules here, not you, not you swine out there. And plus, it'll prove you my guinea f- fowl. <laughs> you better watch how you say that. Hey, now, d- don't don't do that. But um, I I'm really really I want to prove my theory now that we're gonna watch more Peter Cushing that he's a more staid actor and that he really brought it. He brought the business. He brought the work. He brought a lot more emoting because he'll emote. From what I understand of the, the roles that I've seen him in, he will show you everything he did, but he's very staid. He was not staid. He was very active in movement and twitchy almost. Uh, well, speaking of twitchy, James, yes. where can people find us? Not on Twitch. <laughs> well, I, I, I have a Twitch where I stream video games-ish. Okay. But, but where <laughs> can people find us? They can find us at horrorvomitpodcast at gmail.com. They can find us on Facebook. They can also find us where all podcasts are served. Give us a five stars and, you know, at least five words. It, it help us get on the algorithm, help get the word out, and uh, hopefully help more people watch The Hound of the Baskervilles. Mm-hmm, because I, I can't, you know, it, it, it boggles my mind, but I forget how old I am sometimes, that people would not be steeped in Holmes lore. Because there's never not been an active... Um, recreation of it a new one a new tv series a new hey let's make uh the homes a girl let's do this let's do that like the ad couple you know they've tried every variation 
And I guarantee you for the rest of humanity, somebody's going to make something Holmes-ish. House was Holmes. It was effectively. Yeah. yeah. So they're always going to modernly interpret it, and I'm always going to give it a chance. And and like I said, in my growing appreciation for Peter Cushing, I mean, he, he's kind of like the Little Richard of actors. We, we don't watch enough Peter Cushing, and nobody listens to enough Little Richard. Yeah, I, I'll grant you that. Because yeah. good golly, Miss Molly, he he's, knows how to act. Peter Cushing, the Little Richard of film. Mm-hmm. I think that's enough. Push the fucking button. <laughs> we, we made asses of ourselves mm-hmm. for long Push enough here. The Stop yelling at me. Push the button. James. The button. James, look at me in the eyeballs. Yeah.